0: Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories, with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring workday.
1: Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret.
2: Notice anything
1: unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> help me stay back stay back what's happening to me star get yourself when a good you sharp stick when you drive it right to the car. you're a vampire michael my own brother a damn blood-sucking vampire oh you wait till mom finds out buddy when a vampire buys it it's never a pretty sight Michael, coming! oh shit! <laughs>
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Lost Boys from 1987. The studio was Warner Brothers, the release date was July 31st, 1987. The running time, 98 minutes with the rating of R. The budget was 8.5 million and the box office took in 32.2 million, making it the 38th ranked movie of 1987. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 75% fresh from 65 reviews. Their critics' consensus is flawed, but eminently watchable. Joel Schumacher's teen vampire thriller blends horror, humor, and plenty of visual style with standout performances from a cast full of young 1980s stars. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 2.5 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. The Lost Boys in this movie are vampires, teenage vampires, and of course there's a lost girl too, but why mention her? They hang from the ceiling of their lair in the ruins of an old hotel, and at night they go out to cruise the boardwalk of Santa Cruz, mass murder capital of the world. When a new kid moves to town, the lost boys look threatening, but the lost girl looks just great. <laughs> From this beginning, Joel Schumacher has devised an ambitious entertainment that starts out well, but ends up selling its soul. There's a moment early in this film when it seems to have a handle on its characters and the after-dark teenage world they inhabit. But the ending of the film is just another one of those by-the-numbers action climaxes in which the movie is over when all the bad guys are dead. Has there been an action thriller all year in which the last 20 minutes weren't phoned in from the depository of bankrupt cliches? The movie stars Jason Patrick as Michael, a bright kid who moves to town with his widowed mother, Diane Wiest, and his little brother, Corey Haim. Right away, he meets a nice local man, Edward Herman, who comes calling on his mother. Before long, he sees the great-looking girl, Jamie Gertz, and not long after that, he sees the pack of lost boys led by Kiefer Sutherland. The girl invites him to join them. The Frog Brothers try to warn him. they are a couple of bright kids who run a comic book store on the carnival boardwalk. They give him a couple comic books about vampires and offer their services if any vampires need to be killed, but Michael doesn't believe in vampires and doesn't make the connection until it's too late. At about this point, the movie feels like it's going somewhere, but then the plot starts to get very complicated. And because everything looks so good, the movie was photographed in rich dark colors by Michael Chapman, we almost give it the benefit of the doubt. The high quality of the photography and the acting had me wondering if perhaps this wouldn't develop into a genuinely frightening and interesting vampire story. But no such luck is no longer a virtue in mainstream Hollywood to bring any genuine, unsettling imagination to a commercial movie. If you really stop to think about it, a bunch of vampire teenagers would be a terrible shame, a tragedy, a heartbreaking loss of innocence for them, let alone their victims. Am I silly to take them seriously? Maybe so. The movie doesn't. It lacks the sense of dread that creeps out from the pages of a novel such as Anne Rice's interviews with a vampire and substitutes the same old cornball predictable action climax with everybody chasing everybody around with lots of screams and special effects gore. Sometimes I think modern advances in special effects technology can be directly blamed for the collapse of original screenwriting. Oh, I agree with that, totally, especially in 2020. There's some good stuff in the movie, including a cast that's good right down the line and a willingness to have some fun with teenage culture and the mass murder capital. But when everything is all over, there's nothing to leave the theater with. No real horrors, no real dread, no real imagination. Just technique at the service of formula. That's the end of Ebert's review. Yeah, so if you were a child of the '80s and enjoyed either their backpack movies or campy teen horror films, *The Lost Boys* were right up your alley. And it wasn't as good as, say, *The Goonies*, but it had fun. It had a fun '80s vibe and, and polish that most teenagers could sink their teeth into. Peri- pun very much intended. But Ebert's critique of the film is very valid. The story is cliche. But that's a sort of box these films are often confined in due to having, having to follow certain tropes set years and years ago. Alright, let's, let's get into the main cast. Normally I go through each big name in the cast, but there's a lot in this film, and I'll briefly cover them in the making of the film section. I will mention the director Joel Schumacher, who prior to The Lost Boys directed three films. The Incredible Shrinking Woman, DC Cab with Mr. T, and St. Almost Fire, which of course was with the Brat Pack. He would go on after the Lost Boys to get a lot of flack for his two Batman films, which came after the Tim Burton versions after he left the franchise. And someday I'll cover the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Oh boy. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So the president of Warner Brothers took director Joel Schumacher out for lunch one afternoon to discuss the premise of the Lost Boys. Now Schumacher felt it was just some kid's vampire movie, almost like Peter Pan in many ways which he says in hindsight was arrogant of him, but the executive was taken back by Schumacher's arrogance and said he should just read the script first before judging it. But Schumacher kept having more and more ideas about his vision of the film and then was very interested in making the film once he got into the script. And Schumacher's sense of style and vision is why The Lost Boys actually holds up pretty well today, especially making the characters older instead of the younger teens. Schumacher also liked the vampire story because it's the sexiest type of monster character there is. Other monsters don't have the seduction like vampires do, and this attracted Schumacher to the film. Richard Donner was the first choice to direct the film, especially after his success with The Goonies. But he was attached to the Lethal Weapon movie that was coming out soon, so he turned down The Lost Boys, but was still the executive producer on the film. And Donner's wife, who was a producer, suggested that they give Schumacher a shot at directing the film. Schumacher loved the look of Kiefer Sutherland at the very end of At Close Range, which he made with Sean Penn, and he asked to meet with him to discuss the role of David. At this point, Kiefer had really only been a part of two U.S. films, and the first being The Great Stand By Me in 1986. Schumacher loved Sutherland's presence in the film because often he doesn't have much dialogue in it, but he gets so much out of his performance without even saying a word. However, when he did have a line, it was usually the last word sort of thing, which always sticks with an audience. He'd get the punchline and nail it. Jason Patrick was a real unknown at the time, and he had done a little TV work in a film called Solar Babies, but this would be his first major role on film. But he really didn't want to do The Lost Boys at all. And at first, and Joel Schumacher had to really convince Patrick to do the film because Patrick felt it was going to be... Uh, exploitation-campy horror film, and he wanted to take his acting selection seriously. But after six weeks of going back and forth, Patrick finally agreed to take the part of Michael. Schumacher originally envisioned the Star character, which is the the character's name of Star, as almost like a pixie type with short blonde hair, but none of the actresses that came to read for that part seemed to get it right. Jason Patrick had worked with Jamie Gertz and suggested her, though she didn't fit that original look and vision that Schumacher had. However, Gertz's acting chops and talent is what won Schumacher over, but it was Patrick that really got her the role. Schumacher only wanted Diane Weiss to play the part of Lucy, and she had just won an Oscar for Hannah and Her Sisters, and he didn't think he'd have any shot at getting her for The Lost Boys, and he was shocked when she said yes to the part because she was perfect as the mom. Schumacher was really lucky to get Michael Chapman, as his cinematographer, as he was directing films himself at that point, and he wasn't just shooting films. He had directed All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise, but he was a very well-respected cinematographer with movies like Taxi Driver, uh, the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Raging Bull. And Chapman loved old horror films and was excited to be in charge of photography for The Lost Boys. So, I sort of covered Corey Haim and Corey Feldman's careers during the License to Drive episode, so you can kind of go back and listen to that episode if you want some backstory about them. However, I will point out that The Lost Boys was the first film that they peered in together. All right, let's get into the film. Uh, The movie begins at an amusement park in Santa Carla, California. Uh, As Ebert kind of alluded to and probably incorrectly said, uh, this is actually at the Santa Cruz Beast Boardwalk, which is in Santa Cruz, California, which is about 30 miles from where I live in San Jose. The other notable 80s movie filmed in Santa Cruz, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The reason the town wasn't called Santa Cruz in the movie is because that city didn't want to be associated with teenage violence and was trying to attract families and kids to the boardwalk. But ironically, today, the town is filled with transients, and what's funny is there's a town in the Bay Area that is actually Santa Clara, which is very close to the pronunciation of Santa Carla. And uh, at the end of this episode, we have interviews with super producer Lindley, who actually lives in Santa Cruz, so we'll talk about that a bit. David, played by Kiefer Sutherland, and his gang, which includes Alex Winter, who plays Marco, and of course he would go on to be in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Uh, they're causing trouble at the boardwalk like usual. And by the way, Kiefer Sutherland has probably one of the best mullets of the 1980s. It's spiky and bleach blonde. It's it's truly a sight to behold. Anyway, a security guard for the boardwalk kicks the gang out of the park after they start some trouble on the merry-go-round. And then when the park closes, the security guard is attacked by something or a group of somethings while walking to his car. We aren't really shown what happens, just that he's swept away screaming. One of the reasons that in the early scenes you never actually see anyone as vampires or that they can even fly, that was purely a budgetary issue. It would have been too expensive to have a lot of special effects from makeup and flying vampires, which is why everything is implied early on. And I actually think it works pretty well because the implied visual violence is something scarier than actually seeing it in many ways. Next, we cut to Echo and the Bunnymen covering the Doors classic People Are Strange while we see the Emerson family driving to the beach town of Santa Carla, which is where they're moving to from Phoenix. The Emersons are a single mother, Lucy, Diane Weist, and her two teenage sons, Michael, Jason Patrick, and Sam, Corey Haim. Michael is a few years older than Sam. And they were going to stay with Lucy's father, played by Bernard Hughes. Hughes was Doc Hogue in the Doc Hollywood episode and movie with Michael J. Fox that I covered a couple weeks ago. So Schumacher liked the use of the Doors song as he felt that the Doors were a perfect type of band for the Lost Boys and something that they would listen to. Almost an old school rock gothic feel with those sultry poetic notions to their lyrics. And Doors keyboardist Ray Manzarek agreed to record with Echo and the Bunnymen on this particular cover. Now, Grandpa in the film is a trip. He's basically an old hippie, which is what Santa Cruz used to be like before uh, the Bay Area and real estate prices went sky high due to the tech industry. And I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Ironically, the barrier, which used to pride itself on the great diversity and culture, it's totally gentrified once Silicon Valley took over. And it's such a shame how the barrier has kind of ruined what it once was, but... I digress.
1: Well, now let me put it this way. If all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once, we'd have one hell of a population problem. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide? We don't need a TV.
0: Next, we are taken to a giant beach party with one of the most memorable scenes in the film for all the wrong reasons. It's the sexy sax guy, Tim Capello, who used to play with Tina Turner at the time and I will play a clip of his performance, but really this is meant to be seen and not just heard, and here's a direct passage from his wiki page. He is notable for his muscular physique, his sexually provocative movements during his performances, and for his tendency to perform shirtless with his skin oiled and with his hair in a ponytail. So, enjoy I Still Believe, (laughs) which is a cover from the band The Call. By the way, most of the soundtrack is compiled of cover songs from the modern acts of the time, though there are a few original tracks that I will mention later. Anyway, lost in this last clip is Michael finding a way to take his eyes off the sexy saxophonist and then seeing a gorgeous woman in the crowd named Star, which is Jamie Gertz. And sorry, sax man, Jamie Gertz wins this round. By the way, the crowd rocking out to this very non-rocking track is equally hilarious. You gotta see it. So Lucy is strolling the boardwalk and notices a Help Wanted sign at a video rental store, which is run by a man named Max, played by Edward Herman and you might remember Herman as Goldie Hawn's yuppie husband living on his yacht in the movie Overboard. Max likes Lucy's kind nature and offers her a job immediately, though he seems more smitten with her than a regular employee hire. Michael decides to look for Star around the boardwalk while Sam is interested in a comic book store. And this is where we meet the very colorful Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, which I'm sure was by design, Mr. Poe. And of course, they are played by Corey Feldman, and jameson newlander
1: got a problem guys
0: just scope in your civilian wardrobe
1: pretty cool huh for a fashion victim listen buddy if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar it went out of business last summer actually i'm looking for a batman number 14. that's a very serious book man only five in existence four actually i'm always looking out for the other three you can't put the Superman, number 77s, with the 200s. They haven't even discovered Wreck kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Laurie Mars hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from, Krypton? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we moved... ...here. take this. I don't like horror comics you like this one, Mr. Phoenix. Well, it could save your life. Hey! Hey! Come back here! No, let's come go, go back, here! With our come back here! here! Hey, wait a minute! Not...
0: The comic given to Sam is called Vampires Everywhere, our first clue. As it turns out, Star is part of the gang led by David. That night, the couple that almost got in a fight with David and the gang on the merry-go-round in the beginning of the film are taken from their car in the exact same fashion as the security guard. They're violently flown away, never to be seen again. The next day, Sam visits a comic book shop again.
1: Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. All right. Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. Think of it more as a survival manual. There's a number on the back. And pray. You never need to call us. I'll pray. I never need to call you. Sure.
0: So the inflection in Corey Feldman's voice is pretty hilarious, and he's totally going for the Sylvester Stallone kind of Rambo tone. It's over the top, yes, another pun, but it works for this type of film. Schumacher was the one who told Feldman to go for the Stallone vibe because Feldman's initial reading of the part, he pretty much played it straight, and Schumacher wanted to, quote, butch it up a bit and told him to rent all the Rambo movies, and there you have it. So that night, Michael runs into Star as he hoped, and they make brief small talk before David and the boys show up on their motorcycles. David invites Michael to the gathering, which sounds more like a threat than a real true invitation. Since Michael is spending with Star, he of course decides to go. And this leads to a montage of riding on the beach with Lou Grams Lost in the Shadows playing in the background. This would be an original track. Speaking of that, "Is Laying Down the Law was playing when Michael first met Star before David showed up.
1: Eating time, come and get it, boys.
2: All right. right.
3: Chinese. Good choice. Over here, bud.
1: Yes, first. You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael, how could a billion Chinese people be (laughs) wrong? Come on. Oh, those maggots. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Leave them alone. Sorry about that. No hard feelings, huh? Oh. Why don't you try some noodles? <laughs> they're worms. I mean they're worms. Tony! They're only noodles, Michael. <laughs> Sorry,
2: worms. That's enough. All right, good girl.
1: We should let Michael know what's going on. Yeah. Michael. Good night, Michael. Bombs away. Climb was <laughs> up, man. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Michael! <laughs> Fun, man. How do you like that.
0: by drinking the blood given by David, Michael is now starting to become one of the undead. Yes, a vampire. Though if you've never seen the movie, you don't know for sure yet. And after letting go from the bridge, it goes in sort of a dreamlike state, and then he ends up back in his bedroom at his grandpa's house. So interestingly, Schumacher points out that the popularity of MTV and music videos gave much more creative license for surreal scenes like the last scene in The Lost Boys. Younger viewers were much more in tune about strange shots due to so many music videos appearing on TV that if a movie took creative license, they would kind of go along with it. And by the way, according to Schumacher, the way to get maggots and worms to actually move around, you need to put lemon juice on them. Otherwise, they stay still. So that night, Michael feels sick and then goes into a trance-like state where he loses control of himself and then he looks to attack Sam. But luckily, their family dog, Nanook, has a sense of people that are not acting like themselves, more specifically not human, and takes action.
1: Mike, Michael, you there? The nook. Michael. Mike, what happened? Nanook. What about Nanook? What'd you do to my dog, you asshole? Nothing. I didn't hurt him. He bit me. This is my blood. Why'd he bite you, Mike? Huh? What would you do to him? He was protecting you. Look at your reflection in the mirror. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you eat a
0: Sam does what any reasonable person would do when confronted with having an issue of a vampire as a brother. Yeah, he calls the weirdo Frog Brothers.
1: You did the right thing by calling us. Does your brother sleep a lot? Yeah, all day. Does the sunlight freak him out? Uh, he wears sunglasses in the house. Bad breath. Yeah, his fingernails are a little bit longer. Um, he always had bad breath though. He's a vampire, all right. All right, here's what you do. Get yourself a good, sharp stake and drive it right through his heart. I can't do that. He's my brother. Okay, we'll come over and do it for you. No. You better get yourself a garlic T-shirt, buddy. Or at your funeral. Hello, Sam. Is everything all right, Mom? I think we have to have a real long talk about something. Mom, Sam, I'm starting to get worried.
2: Mom, uh oh. What's that noise? That's
1: not Michael. No. What's screaming like that? <coughs> now we should say calm, <coughs> calm, calm about what? Oh, nothing, nothing. Listen, just who's making that noise? Mom, I can't talk about it on the phone. It's about Michael. Don't listen to him, Mom. He doesn't know what he's saying. Sam doesn't know what he's saying. Stop. Ah! Shut up, Sam. Mom, help. He's coming to get me. Oh, my oh, God. God. Sam. Ah! He's going to kill me. Oh, Honey, I'm coming. No, no, Tell him no. no. I'm coming. Stay back! Stay back! Sammy, help me! Open up! Help me! Sammy, open the window! Pepper, I knew it! I am not. So where are you? The flying nun? I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me! Sammy, open up! What about Mom? Just don't don't tell her anything. I don't know, Mike. It's not like getting a D in school or something, you know. We're gonna work
0: this out. I'm gonna work this out, you trust me, okay, Sam? Okay. So Lucy had to rush home from her dinner date with Max and didn't bother to tell him goodbye either, to make sure Sam was okay and Sam makes up a story about he got scared from reading a comic book, which infuriates Lucy as she hasn't been on a date in a long time. However, she loves her boys and quickly forgives Sam. Michael, in the meantime, sneaks out of the house to go to David's hangout and finds Star there. He asks her what's happening to him. She doesn't really tell him because it's a perfect time for a love scene montage instead of actually letting him know that he's now a vampire. <laughs> and we get the main theme from The Lost Boys, Cry Little Sister by Gerard McMahon. The next morning, Lucy and Sam head to Max's house to apologize for ditching the dinner date, and Lucy is attacked by Max's dog, which is very random, but it's a precursor of things to come.
1: I started chasing my mom like the hounds of hell and vampires everywhere.
0: We've been aware of some very serious vampire activity in this town for a long time.
1: Santa Carla's become a haven for the undead. As a matter of fact, we're almost certain that ghouls and werewolves occupy high positions at city hall. Kill you, brother. You'll feel better. Look, guys, my brother's not a bloodsucker. Look, it says here that if you kill the head vampire, all half-vampires will return to normal. Guys, if my brother's a vampire, believe me, he's only half. Does your brother know who the head vampire is? No, I don't think so. Then you'll have to kill him. And if you don't, then we will. This all started when my mom went to work at Max's video store. Max never comes in till after it's dark. The dog who chased my mom this morning was his. Now listen to this, vampires require a daytime protector, a guardian, to watch over them as they sleep. Fierce dogs, the hounds of hell are often employed for this purpose. No shit. Yeah, well what happens if my mom is dating the head vampire? You guys can nail him and save Santa Carla. Truth, justice, the American way trimes. Thanks to you two. We'll check out Max.
0: Lucy invites Max over for dinner, but as you heard, Sam is suspicious of Max and decides to invite the Frog Brothers to gift Max the old vampire third degree.
1: These are my dinner guests. Edgar and Alan, the Frog Brothers. Oh, I didn't know you were having guests. Well, Mom, you know, for in your way, we can go eat some peanut butter Very and in the kitchen. No, no, there's plenty for everybody. Max, this is my son, Sam, and uh, Edgar and Alan, Frog? Mm-mm. Lucy, this looks terrific. Well, I hope it tastes good.
3: Mmm. Mm. wonderful. wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. Mmm. Boy, somebody around here has bad breath. No, no, would you quit breathing on me? No, no, get upstairs. Go on. You want some Parmesan cheese on that?
2: Uh, yeah, Sam, thank you very much.
1: Sam grated
3: the cheese himself. Oh. My son. Another budding chef in the family. <coughs> Are you all right? No, mm. yeah, it's not cheese, it's, it's garlic. <coughs> but you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. <laughs> it's raw garlic.
1: How did that happen? Guys, your legs gone. Oh, okay. Sorry. Here, quick, drink some water. Hey, oh! The... Sam, what's the matter with you? Does it burn? Burn? What are you, nuts? <laughs> it's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your pants. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Gosh. Now what? Must be a circuit breaker, Mom. He's not glowing. So... I know. Hit the lights.
3: I think I know what's going on around here tonight. You do? Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Sam, but you're wrong. I am? Yeah. I'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you. I would just like to be your friend, that's all. Good night, Lucy. Thanks a lot.
1: I'm sorry, Mom. Max, I'm so sorry. Made a mistake.
0: The reason the Frog Brothers work so well in this film and are so funny is because they're so serious and they don't try to be funny. Uh, They truly think they are military commandos hunting vampires. If they actually tried to play it funny, it wouldn't be. So while another dinner date is spoiled, Michael goes looking for Star and runs into David and the gang. And this is where we finally see the vampires in action and they transition and then they decide to kind of feed on some humans all the while Run-DMC's version of Walk This Way plays. Which is kind of fitting since the original song, done by Aerosmith, was inspired by the horror parody Young Frankenstein. All the while, Michael has to resist the urge to change into a vampire and feast on the blood. Star visits Michael at his house and informs him that he's not truly a vampire. He's actually like her. They're in limbo. They've drunk the blood of David, but they haven't killed anyone yet. And Michael was supposed to be Star's first victim, but she couldn't do it. All right, I think I've set up things nicely for you. Will Sam and the Frog Brothers be able to stop David and the gang? Well, Eber kind of gave that away. Uh, Will Michael and Star become real vampires? And who's the head of the vampire family after all? You'll just have to watch the movie and find out as the last 30 minutes are action-comedy-packed. The Lost Boys actually has a lot going for it, but most of it has nothing to do with the vampire or the horror angle. I enjoy the film for the 80s nostalgia and the Bay Area connection. The vampire tale isn't groundbreaking, but it really doesn't need to be. I enjoy the snapshot in time because it's fun and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why it continues to find new fans even today. Also, I love horror comedies, going all the way back to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And by the way, Roger Daltrey covers Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, and that's playing during the closing credits. It's very 80s in production. It's okay, but nowhere near as good as the original. All right, let's get into the deleted scenes, and there were a lot. When first arriving to Grandpa's house, Michael wants the room that Sam picks, and then Sam sorts all of his comics books on his bed and the two playfully fight. Sam gets the stereo to work, and he and his mom playfully dance in the kitchen while Michael had informed his mom that he might not be going back to school. At the boardwalk, Michael falls star and finds her and the little vampire boy, and the boy is intrigued after Sam arrives with a vampire comic book. On the beach, Michael is picking up trash, while Sam tries to relax in an inner tube, but to no avail. Lucy is now working at the video store and is te- talking to her coworker, worker who was also in summer school, this is Kelly Joe Minter, about Max's work hours and how strange they are. Michael and Sam visit Lucy at the video store and Lucy is almost done with work and offers to take them out to eat. And Michael gives her the Christmas money he had saved up as he had just started her job. And Lucy is touched at Michael's selflessness but wants him to keep the money for college and his potential tuition. Michael and Star discuss the little boy that always hangs out around with her and it's not her little brother. Lucy and her dad talk about her new job and Max and Grandpa doesn't think too much of Max. Sam investigates all of the animals that have been stuffed by Grandpa around the house, and Nanook is sniffing everything. Sam sees Grandpa and all his taxidermy action and is grossed out by the whole thing. Sam then goes into the kitchen and notices the marijuana plant growing outside the kitchen window and grabs a leaf and attempts to light it on fire directly. Grandpa suddenly appears in the kitchen and bluntly, no pun intended, asks what Sam's doing. Sam plays dumb and Grandpa forgets about it. The night after Michael drinks David's blood, Sam and him have a conversation about how weird their grandpa is, and Nanook is acting strange around Michael, probably because he's a vampire. Lucy is leaving the video store as David's gang circles her on their motorcycles, and at first she's amused, but then she quickly gets scared. They stop and leave after Max arrives, and Max asks her out for dinner. At their dinner date, Lucy and Max talk about Lucy's divorce, and she's thankful to Max for the job that he gave her. She says that she just wants to take care of her boys, to which Max calls her the mother protecting her cubs and says that they're just getting ready to leave the nest. And then Max makes an odd remark, essentially saying that she could have more kids with the right person. Also on the date, Lucy orders the Filet of sole, but Max won't hear of that and orders uh, them caviar, Caesar salad, and their best lobster, and Dom Perignon from 1971. Then Lucy has another dinner date, but this one's at Max's house. Lucy is nervous of the dog because she was attacked by him earlier in the day when she was with Sam. The dog is now calm, and Max shows her around his home. He's got a very colorful place, which is filled with items that look like a classier version of the boardwalk, and then they drink champagne. Again, all these special features are on the Blu-ray. All right, let's get into the fun facts. There were two sequels, which I I believe they were straight-to-video, that came out in 2008 and 2010, Uh, Corey Feldman (laughs) appears in both films, and he's the only one. The comic book store that the Frog Brothers work at was destroyed by the huge 7.0 Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989. Non-Bay Area folks might remember this due to the World Series taking place at the time between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's. Every year at the landmark Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, of course in Santa Cruz, California, the film is screened as part of the park's free summer movie series and beachgoers may bring outdoor furniture and supplies to watch after the sunset. And many features of the town shown can still be recognized, and most notably the rides and games at the boardwalk itself. Keenan Wynn and John Carradine, a veteran of vampire films, were both original choices for Grandpa, but Wynn died right before filming, and Carradine was too ill. And both were great actors, but I think Barnard Hughes did a perfect job as Grandpa. All right, as I teased earlier, We have Super Producer Winley on, but first we will talk to the great Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock Podcast. And we discuss the fun film of the Lost Boys. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my
3: DVD collection.
0: Okay, we're back with the great Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Welcome back, Stephen.
3: What's going on, Brian Davis, my fellow frog brother? (laughs) <laughs> exactly
0: and so Stephen always has a great intro when I intro him he's ready with the, the quick one-liner and that's why we love having him he's a complete professional I love it
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that but yeah I'll be your brother
0: <laughs> there you go so we're gonna talk about the Lost Boys from 1987 and uh, before I ask about the film are you into vampire movies uh before this like were, were you watching like the classic vampire uh flicks
3: I think I was early on. I'm not as much into them as I was growing up, but yeah, I always find them entertaining. Okay. So what led you to see, I I take it, did you see this in the, in the theater when it first came out? Yeah. I want to say I did, because this is definitely something that came out during a time where I was, you know, going to movies with friends and things like that. So, uh, if I had to guess, I would say, yes, I definitely saw this in the theater,
0: So you were drawn to this mostly because it was kind of a teen flick or were you interested in the music? Because we'll get into the music. The the soundtrack was pretty, uh, pretty well known at the you know, once it came out.
3: Uh, I think for me, yeah, I was um, uh, digging horror flicks at the time in 87, and, and uh, a lot of the friends that I hung out with were the same way, so uh, that's probably what drew us in. And to be honest, at the time, this had a little bit more of a modern feel than a lot of the vampire movies out, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later on, but you know this. This definitely was kind of at the forefront of having just a little bit different look of most vampire flicks.
0: Definitely, and and it is almost like kind of the little bit of the evolution of. Um, well, if you think of Corey Feldman, he was of course in, in Goonies before that, and uh, and Gremlins and things like that. So you could see certain. Um, I don't want to call them childish, but like almost kid themed. Horror movies, Monster Squad, uh, that were coming out. And this was yet another one, but this is almost like an older teenage, getting close to almost college age uh, type horror flick.
3: Well, yeah, that. And I mean, when you think about it in 87, uh, the vampire flicks that were coming out, I mean, there was no. Buffy the vampire slayer no. at this time. There was no um Twilight or whatever that uh team vampire flick mm-hmm. thing. That's it, right? Twilight. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, all right.
3: I'm not team uh hell team. I don't even remember what the two characters are, team this guy or team that guy, something like that.
0: Yeah, I know one of them's Robert Pattinson is gonna be Batman soon. So yeah.
3: Yeah. I've seen Kristen the Surt. I've seen the stills from that. It I, he actually looks pretty good in that suit. But it'll be interesting. He can't be any worse than than Ben affleck
0: so nah but
3: uh yeah so the um uh vampire flicks the horror flicks at that time just didn't seem to have this this look and feel of the lost boys this was uh definitely a lot little a little bit more rock and roll uh for all purposes
0: definitely has to do with joel schumacher and his vision of uh you know filming and and what he he saw at at the time because he was coming from Uh, not necessarily music videos but he 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 ends up being a music video director i think he kind of used that um the lost boys is almost like one long music video at that times so we'll get into the film and uh, how did you feel about the story i mean it, it is kind of faithful to the vampire tale in some ways but in other ways it's it's very modernized as you said so what stood out for you watching it now as opposed to being a
3: teenager when you first saw it Well, at the time, I liked the fact that they mixed in music and things like that and gave, uh, the characters, you know, kind of a cool vibe, Mm -hmm. uh, to spiked hair and, um, you know, rock and roll clothes and sunglasses and all that kind of cool stuff. Now, when I watch it, uh. I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but I got a lot more questions now than I had <laughs> back then. There's definitely some plot things that are going on now and, and just like, uh, okay. But I still don't think, at least not to me, it doesn't seem as teen um I just don't get the same feeling that I would get from watching like a twilight or something. You know what I mean? It's just sure. not as pretty as, as those, uh, flicks are.
0: So get, getting into the plot, what are the plot holes you found watching it now that you probably would ignore as a, as a teenager, just from less life experiences and watching, you know, movie, yeah, more movie experience now.
3: So I don't know if I would necessarily call it plot holes, although there are, Plenty of them. One of the things that bugged me, and this is mm-hmm. just more or less something that bugged me, is when <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they shoved the one guy into the bathtub with the garlic and, oh, sure. uh, and the holy water. Mm-hmm. What's up with like everything exploding? like like the sink explodes and downstairs kitchen sink explodes and it's like okay i don't i'm not sure what the purpose of all that was other than just show some explosions i don't know i was just like i'm not sure that was needed but there are just different things uh regarding that i didn't write down every plot i just look at movies and Because I'm not the one that analyzes a movie to the uh, core and go, Uh well, what about this? It it usually has to be pointed out to me at a later time, and it's more for me on an entertainment basis. Did I enjoy it or didn't I enjoy it? And that's that's what it comes down to uh, for me when I'm watching these flicks.
0: Well, I think with the explosion, this might be the music video charm to it, too, because in those early 80s music videos, there would be so much randomness and and uh, and you'd see, you know, random explosions and whatnot. And uh, maybe that's that's where they were going with that. But you're right about like analyzing film when when until I started doing the podcast, I really would just watch movies for entertainment. Valley, and I still do. But now I'm kind of like not critical, but I know I'm almost on purpose trying to look for things. That might be interesting that, you know, if people go back and watch, they might. okay, I see this now and and things like that. But I understand what you're saying. One thing that you couldn't miss is the hairstyles. And uh, Kiefer Sutherland definitely had an amazing mullet, but nothing like the super sexy sax guy uh, Tim Capello playing, uh, (laughs) yeah. On the beach. How did you feel about, I still believe.
3: Yeah. Well, so I like that song a lot. And, uh, uh, that guy is, uh, what he's best sort of best known for, uh, being Tina Turner's sax player. Right. Yes. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, who he always reminded me of was, um, Kane Roberts. Yo, totally. the guitar player for Alice Cooper. Uh, You know, I don't, I don't know uh, what it was about that, but there, you know, the soundtrack overall, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the soundtrack overall, it had some good stuff that I like a lot. And I like it probably now, uh, more than I did back then. Cause back then, if it didn't have a hard rock band on it, I didn't care. Um, sure. But now some of the stuff I like quite a bit, but overall the soundtrack to me is, is kind of like meh.
0: <laughs> well, it's all pretty much covers too.
3: Uh huh. That, that as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's, I don't think the, you know, do we want to get into the soundtrack now yeah, or let's, no? l- Yeah, let's do yeah. it. So I don't think particularly that Lost in the Shadows song by Lou Graham is particularly great. Yeah, it's uh, the end I, credits. Yeah. I, yeah. I really like Good Times uh, with uh, Michael Hutchins and, and Jimmy Barnes. Yep. I think that's really good. Um, laying down the law is okay. The the cover of the doors tune, People Are Strange, I mean, it really doesn't to me doesn't stray that far from the original. Right. I, I guess they must've wanted too much money to use the original. Cause I would say, why not just use the original? You know, they had the doors poster up in the movie. There's probably three or four tunes on this uh, record that, that are, uh, okay with me that I like, you know, I still believe we already talked about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, good times laying down the law. Good people are strange. I can take or leave. Uh, and, um, the cry little sister sister is a decent tune as well
0: yeah that's probably my favorite of the theme i mean that's pretty much the main theme of the of the soundtrack correct um what's interesting about covers and you just did you just did a great um as we're recording this a event you're doing a van halen tribute in the month of december and the first one you did was tribute albums actually towards, towards van halen right. and listening to it I, it was funny because i'm thinking of covers in general and i'm thinking about what i like and dislike about covers and and usually what i like is doing bands doing covers that are outside of their genre because then they can change it up and what i found with the van halen stuff was like you're basically getting the same type of musicians doing the same exact covers, which to me is kind of boring. <laughs> Cause it's like, why even Why you're not mm-hmm. going to make it better and you're not going to really change it up. It's almost better if you got like a soul singer to do Van Halen stuff. Cause when Van Halen did covers, they were basically going outside their genre for the most part, or they were just modernizing like they did with you really got me. And I think, uh, with this soundtrack, you're sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, one, one song, I think, that should have been covered by a metal act is Devo's whip it. Cause I think that dun, 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 would be a, a hell of a power, you know, power riff. If so, if it's metal act would do it, how, how do you feel about covers? And, and, uh, you kind of mentioned it on your podcast, but I'd like to hear your opinion, at least on, on this episode.
3: Well, if you think about it, really this soundtrack, why wouldn't he have used a lot of hard rock and metal bands because 87, Oh, yeah. is, is right in the thick of things, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at um, records like uh, Beavis and Butthead and things like that, where they primarily used uh, Bill and Ted. That's another oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, where they primarily used hard rock and metal bands to do the soundtracks. And, and uh, you know, the soundtracks came out great. There's a lot of good stuff in in both those movies I mentioned. Mm-hmm. For me... And yeah, to your point, I kind of mentioned this a little bit on our podcast where we're talking about covers. It's like I vary back and forth. It's almost like if a band is going to do a hard rock song, then I almost want it to be done either completely different. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, really different or stay true to the original, Mm -hmm. because if they, if they Go somewhere in between that, to me, it doesn't usually come out great. And to your point, and part of the reason why we did the tribute to the tribute is Uh that Van Halen was known for cover songs. I mean, they did a lot of cover songs, eight cover songs in their career on various records. It just, um, they really made those songs their own. Even yes. even when you're looking at something like you said, the Kinks, which is probably closest to the genre that Van Halen is, right? Uh, you know, they modernized it so much. Everything else that they've done is just you know, you're no good. Uh, the Linda Ronstadt cover um, yep. is just completely changed. You know? Oh yeah. And so uh, I just feel like. Uh, if you're going to do a cover song, offer me something new, basically.
0: Totally. Cause I, I had no idea until years later that ice cream man was a cover song. Um, of course I had heard, you know, pretty woman, uh, by Roy Orbison, but that one's completely different too, because of the
3: intro, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, and that was always, uh, did, have you read Ted Templeman's book
3: yet? I, I have not gotten to that one. I did just, uh, uh, I discovered two new books and, uh, discovered Audible at the same time because okay. I'm not, I'm not a great reader. And so mm-hmm. it'll take me, uh, 4.5 years to <laughs> read the book basically. <laughs> so, uh, on this road trip I took, I listened to, um, uh, running with the devil, uh, mm-hmm. the Van Halen biography by Noel Monk and, uh, the, yeah, the black crows, um, uh, written by Steve Gorman, the drummer. Yes. Uh, Shake it, which is awesome. Like, even if you're not a black Crows fan, that's a great book to, to listen to, uh, because Steve narrates it and oh, nice. you can hear a lot of, and I think that makes a difference. Like you can hear a lot of the stories that he tells it's coming from his mouth and you can hear some of the, uh, <laughs> some of the passion or disdain in his voice when he's telling the story, you know what I mean?
0: Sure. Sure. I'd love to hear him talk about the Jimmy Page stuff. Cause I read the book and, uh, he, he just has nothing, but he has some great Jimmy Page stories.
3: Really, really good, uh, Jimmy Page stories. And like I said, if you're not a black Rose fan, I'd still listen to the book because the book is, uh, is a really, uh, poignant lesson on being in a rock band. <laughs> oh yeah. totally. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of people could tell that story, but, um, yeah, I mean, both those are, are really good. I hadn't read the Ted Templeman one. I want to hear that one as well. Mm-hmm. But songs like, uh, I had no idea that where of all the good times gone. Oh yeah. yeah, uh, yeah was a cover song. Yeah. Yep. I, I didn't know that till much later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the, also the genius of Aerosmith doing, uh, certain covers that I would go back and discover. I think many people think train kept a was there realizing that, you know, it goes way back, uh. To the arpers. Even before that, it was a it was an old blues song and uh, walking the dog and big ten inch and all that right. stuff. So yep. yeah, I think that's uh, that's where the bands get it right when they just make it their own and mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I appreciate too. Going back to the movie, um it, this is a great cast. At the time, many of these these actors are kind of in the beginning phase, whether it be the Corys or Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz. Even Alex Winter, (laughs) of course, would be in uh, Bill and Ted not too long after this film. Uh, How did you feel about the cast watching it now?
3: Uh, I like the cast a lot and some of the things that stick out. So I think that uh, Edward Herman and uh, Mm. Diane Weest. Is it Weest or West? Weest. Yep. Yeah, I think both of them are were brilliant casting. I think they both did an awesome job. But somebody else that I, I liked a lot in this movie was the old man, the grandfather. Yeah, Bernard uh, Hughes. Yeah, he was really good. He was funny and, uh, you know, added some, uh, realistic, uh, humor to it. And just, uh, I really, really enjoyed his character in this movie. And, uh, yeah, the two felt, uh, the two Corys were good. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland and and Jason Patrick, who were essentially, you know, they weren't that known when this movie, uh, came out. no. They had done some things. I mean, Kiefer, more than anything, you knew because of his father, but uh, Jason Patrick. And and uh, I had read where, uh, you know, it took um, uh, mountains to move for him to take this role because he absolutely did not want to do this role. Joel, mm-hmm. Joel Schumacher went after him for a long time to try and get him to do this role. And he finally agreed to do this role uh, and he's the one that bought along Jamie Gertz yeah, exactly. uh, to do this role as well. So
0: And had you, speaking of Jamie Gertz, you've, you've seen, you saw the movie
3: Crossroads with Ralph Macchio, right? Of course. How can yeah. I not <laughs> see that? I mean, come on now. It had the, it had the devil and Steve Vai fight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: Eventually, we'll, we will do that episode. But uh, yeah, I think that was the, probably the first time I saw Jamie Gertz. Maybe I saw her on Square Pegs, too. Uh, but yeah, she was early on in her career as well.
3: Well, when, um, I mean, she wasn't part of the Brat Pack, but she came along. When was, wasn't she in like St. Elmo's Fire and a couple of those type flicks?
0: I, I don't think she was in St. Elmo's Fire, but she was in Less
3: Than Zero, which Less I think Less Than you know, Zero was the same year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's where I knew her first from.
0: Yeah, because, again, it's just a great ensemble, and I think that's why it works so well. And I think people looking back now are like, oh, wow, this person's in it and that person's in it. So, yeah.
3: Well, and something else I learned, that's part of the reason I love doing these uh, these movie reviews with you, Brian, is because it forces me to go do some investigation and, <laughs> uh, and digging up some uh, things. And so one of the things I learned which m- puts this movie in perspective for me is that, Originally, they wanted Richard Donner to do this flick, right? Right, from Goonies and Lethal Weapon. Yep. Right, and he originally envisioned this flick as kind of a continuation of Goonies a little bit, right? Which which would have put a whole completely different spin on this. He saw the two Corries as. Um, you know, kind of uh, part of the Goonie squad, mm-hmm. and I think that's why when I watch this movie, because the Frog Brothers sort of stand out in this movie, and and you're not sure whether this movie wants to be total straight on serious or a little comedic relief, right? And it works really well with with both. But I think the only reason that it works that way is because of the initial uh, vision of Richard Donner and how he wanted this flick to be originally.
0: Agreed. And uh, and I think Grandpa kind of led some some dark humor into it as well. Correct. Yeah. So as always, this is this has been a lot of fun. Are there any final thoughts for for the Lost Boys and would you recommend it now?
3: Uh, I think it's perfectly rated. I think I saw, uh, Oh, rot- look at
0: you and Baco.
3: Yeah, I think, <laughs> uh, I think Rotten Tomatoes had it 76, uh, percent. And I think that's perfectly rated. Yep. I watched it again. Obviously I enjoyed it much more as a younger person, but I still enjoyed it this time around. And I would definitely recommend people at least see this flick, uh, once so they can, uh, see it because it does predate a lot of the stuff like Buffy and all those things that came afterwards, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if younger, uh, viewers enjoy your twilights and, and Buffy's, as you said, I think this would be a, a fun flick for them.
3: Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a long watch. It's, I don't know how, how long this movie is, but it couldn't have been more than an hour and a half or whatever.
0: Exactly. And that, that's a nice thing is usually most of it. Today, this would be a two and a half hour movie, which would be overkill. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> As always, thank you so much, Stephen. Absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Okay, we are back. Welcome back, Super Producer Lindley. Hello. <laughs> so professional <I'm>
2: trying yeah <laughs> i know well
0: normally so this is always weird because normally we're in the office we can see each other right, play we can office. see
2: each other yes
0: this makes it different so yes. uh but i wanted to get you on on this on the lost boys episode mm-hmm. for a few reasons one you were a teenager the same age as i think most of the the kids in the movie at this time yeah uh-huh. and you grew up or you you live in the bay area but you now live in santa cruz which is where yeah. this film was uh shot and so um first do you did you this seems like something you would have seen in the theater back in the
2: day I definitely saw the theater and we actually drove to Santa Cruz to watch it in the theater in Santa Cruz oh no way why I have no idea why (laughs) why (laughs) did we think that was something to do don't know
0: (laughs) yeah because that's a bit of a drive from where you were where I mean, drive? I grew
2: up in Fremont, mm-hmm. so, and I don't even know that I was driving. I think somebody else drove me. Like, I don't think I had my license or a car then. So I think just a group of us went with someone that was a couple years older because then we used to go to Santa Cruz to watch um, a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, the that was night show. I yeah. don't even know if they're still airing it here. But yeah, for some reason, that was the closest place to drive to go watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show when mm-hmm. that was a thing. Um, and so, yeah, we made the decision like, oh, yeah, this movie's going to be awesome. We're going to drive to Santa Cruz and watch it in a Santa Cruz theater. <laughs> Why? It, no, it makes no sense. But
0: <laughs> well, I think that's the most hilarious part. So it should have been called Santa Cruz, but they called it Santa Carla. Yeah. And because at the time, uh, Santa Cruz didn't want to scare off potential uh, Tourists, visitors. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so because it was about, you know, teenage violence and vampires and everything. And now you look at Santa Cruz and the boardwalk and it's full of (laughs) unsavory characters. Oh,
2: for sure, but it was then too. It was also, I think they name it the murder capital of the world, right? In the Santa Carla, but that was also, Santa Cruz had that, uh, was called that as well because there Mm. were, um, I think in the 70s or maybe it was the early 80s, there were three different serial killers operating, living and are operating in this area. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. You have to look that up. So look at, yeah, I I haven't read about it recently, but that, yeah, that was happening um, at that time. 70s and 80s, like just, I mean, it was so easy because I mean, even when I was a student going to UC Santa Cruz, it was like you hitchhiked all the time. You would just like, I didn't because I'm a scaredy cat, but um, (laughs) I would pick up hitchhikers, but you just see girls, boys and girls just like hitchhiking constantly. um, Yeah. Cause it's just very easy to pick up a ride up, you know, because the campus is up on this hill. So you just kind of stand at the bottom of the hill and hitchhike. Yeah. Um, and that's,
0: that was what was great about Santa Cruz, too, is everyone's kind of just free and kind of, you know, ha- having fun. But yeah, and yeah. that's in you know, the 70s. It was kind of a tricky time when you see, you see all these documentaries about serial killers getting away yes. with so much back then.
2: Well, one of them is interviewed specifically, and he was like, it was so easy to pick up victims because they were hitchhiking. Right. Like, <laughs> so you would actually pick up hitchhikers too? Pardon? Sorry, say you, that again? You would actually pick up hitchhikers? Well, when I was in college, if mm-hmm. I was driving up to campus, I would pull over and pick. I mean, that's just kind of what you did as a student. You would pick yeah. up people. Like, they're usually standing at the bus stop, so you're waiting for the bus and hitchhiking, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, either you would catch the bus, or someone would pick you up with their car. Right. I, yeah, I did Santa Cruz not isn't No, I mean, it's pretty much like almost kind of like a one track, especially if you're in, if you're a student, it's very, it's even a smaller area that you'll be around, right? It's like kind of downtown up to campus.
0: Right. So you went to college in the early 90s, right? At UC Santa Cruz? Yeah,
2: mid 90s. Uh huh.
0: Mid-90s. Sorry, yeah. I'm not dating you that much. No,
2: no, I'm not. I wasn't saying. Like, well, because I started, I did start college in the early 90s at UC Berkeley. And then I dropped out and went and then transferred to Santa Cruz. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know
0: that. So we we'll have to have a, I, I'd like to get your story about that offline. So oh, that, it's um, not you know.
2: that, it's not that interesting. Okay. <laughs> just so a how, lazy how we, freshman in college. What, sorry.
0: Uh, so when you first saw The Lost Boy, were you immediately like, this is awesome. You know, I, this is a,
2: um, yeah, movie? I just, I loved the music. I think the way they, you know how they took like shots of the cities and surfers. It kind of looks the same. It really has not aged that differently. Um, and you've watched, have you watched us yet? I haven't. Oh, you should watch us. That's okay. very Santa Cruz. I mean, that actually takes place. I it's not, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's even more, I feel like more shots are in Santa Cruz than the Lost Boys even. Oh, um, Okay. Yeah. A lot. Like it totally takes place in front of the boardwalk. It's a very significant uh, uh, story around the boardwalk and like the people that live underneath the boardwalk is kind of be <laughs> horror part of it um, right. not to give too much away. But um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's very Santa Cruz. Um, what was I going to say? The Lost Boys? Yeah. I just really love, like I loved it. The- I bought the soundtrack immediately and played it on a cassette tape um, mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over again. Right.
0: Yeah, that's um, the thing because that, that there were a lot of covers of like, I know Echo and the Bunny Men did the doors, and In yeah. uh, Excess was
2: on there. In Excess, yeah. right. I can't even remember what else, but I think Lou Graham from Foreigner was on there. Don't let the sun go down on me, Who's, yeah. who does that version? Oh, Roger of it. Daltrey.
0: From Is it Roger
2: Daltrey on the Lost Boys soundtrack? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that. I love that soundtrack. Um, so also, you, like the Frog yeah. Brothers were really funny, mm-hmm. right? Um, I just thought Corey, I mean, before there were the Corey's, I didn't know who these kids were, but I just thought they were like, so funny, so great.
0: Well, you had seen, obviously, the Goonies before that, so you probably knew Corey Feldman.
2: I see, I have seen them, but I think that was the first time that I saw, oh, Feldman was in the Goonies. Right. I mean, yeah, probably at that point they were familiar, but like that was the first thing where he, like his voice had really changed, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he speaking in like a really deep voice in the yeah, movie? Yeah, he was
0: almost doing the Stallone thing yeah <laughs> which was on purpose Joel Schumacher wanted that
2: I wanted him to do that yeah they were I thought it was just very funny it just seemed very like um I don't know how do you want to say it? like this just kind of wacky world yeah like can yeah. and just like subversive almost you know kind of yeah I don't know
0: now how did you feel about Perky. the? yeah oh definitely now how did you feel about the like the Jamie Gertz character
2: yeah, fine. I mean, I think she seemed really beautiful and like the <laughs> dudes with the long hair. I mean, I didn't really like, I would, didn't like heavy metal, but that was definitely the look the vampires had, right? Like heavy oh, yeah. metal keep, bands. like a metal
0: had an amazing mullet going.
2: Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they all had mullets. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought, I got genuinely scared watching that movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially when they killed the, I think it's like the security guard. And then you keep seeing their faces appear on milk cartons. Right. I right. think they're in the parking lot alone. Like they're yeah. I don't remember if they're harassing um J- is his name Jason Patrick. What's his yeah, name? Yeah. Whoa, the, the, what a babe he was in that day. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that
0: was the next thing. Like, are you a <laughs> Kiefer or a Jason Patrick guy? Oh, uh, I definitely <laughs>
2: liked Kiefer So I did like Kiefer Sutherland though too. Yes. But what Which was the end that I liked him in? I don't think I liked him from Lost Boys. What other Kiefer Sutherland teen movies did he do before or after Lost Boys? Well, he was in
0: um Stand By Me was he? Oh he was yeah, the, he's like the he mean the brother. Yeah. You no, know,
2: I think this was like a I don't
0: know. And then he was, was he in
2: Rumblefish? In...
0: No, that was no. Matt Dillon.
2: Yeah, but... Matt Dillon. Okay. Well, anyway. did you ever
0: see Flatliners? That came out a couple years ago. Oh yeah, this. that was a while ago though, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I remember that. Yeah. that was definitely something teenagery I'm thinking of that. Hmm. Maybe it was just this. I don't know.
0: But but yeah, so you get plenty of eye candy between Jason. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. best eye candy since um, Outsiders.
0: Oh yeah, there <laughs> you go, for, oh, her, man. For
2: teenage girls. Yeah.
0: Okay, so can you name all of the outsiders?
2: <laughs> oh gosh, who the actors that were in it or yeah. their yep. characters' names? Oh, well, well I know Ralph Macchio, yep. C. Thomas Howell, yep. Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe. Yep. Um. I'm forgetting somebody. I would say the only one. Because those are the three brothers, Patrick Swayze, yeah. Rob Lowe, and C. Thomas Hall were the brothers. And then Ralph Macchio and Tom Cruise. And there were others, yeah, kind of wandering around. I think
0: the only other one is uh, Emilio Estevez.
2: Oh, but he was a Soch, right? No. He no, was no. A, no, he was one of the greasers. Greasers? Was the greasers? Is that yeah. what they called him? Yeah, greasers.
0: It's amazing how every single one of them had their own <laughs> fame go. <going. laughs> And probably yeah. Tom Cruise was probably the least known at that was time. Not,
2: I don't think he even speaks in it, right? Yeah. Really? Does he bear it? Yeah, maybe he is. Maybe he does, but.
0: Yeah. And he yeah. still has his old teeth and everything.
2: Yeah. He became yeah. even more famous than all of them. You'd think it would be like Rob Lowe, but.
0: Yeah. Or, or Well, Patrick Swayze did have his, at his peak, did did really well. But yeah. Yeah.
2: I would say he was pretty A-list. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yes, yeah, so we talked about. The, so is Santa? You kind of briefly mention it. Is, is Santa Cruz at least the boardwalk kind of similar to what it, what it used to be now, or is it? it
2: I looks, really haven't cleaned it up. It looks exactly the same. I don't think it looks any different. Um, I don't. I'm trying to think. Yeah, even that band, like where the band plays, that's mm-hmm. where they have those summer concerts. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. The free concerts. And I told you my last uh, famous encounter was watching Eddie Money. He died, right? Oh Money yeah, he that. This, was, about this was probably like five years ago. He was uh, warming up while we were at the boardwalk with my kids. Oh.
0: Did you? Uh, <laughs> did, was he doing uh, two tickets to paradise? Check, check,
2: check, check. Yeah, I, don't, I think he was doing a lot of check, 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 talking and <laughs> thing Yeah, it was pretty funny. So we all set. I've got two tickets to
1: paradise. That kid bats will leave tonight.
0: It's Two next month, actually.
2: Paradise! No, four, whoa, remember? Whoa, whoa, whoa,
3: whoa, whoa. You know, Ronnie, folks who save hundreds of dollars by switching to Geico sure are happy. And how happy are they, Jimmy? Happier than any money running a travel agency.
0: Get happy, get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. <laughs> oh, well, we have to talk about. The concert scene and uh, oh the sexy saxophones. Sax- <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: didn't someone say like every '80s movie had a saxophonist in it, and also every '80s songs has a saxophone solo? Was oh yeah, that, did we talk about this? I we may have heard about it. Like, there's always a saxophone.
0: <laughs> on. Yeah, but he is so obnoxious and so over the top. I guess he was oh, play with Tina Turner at the time.
2: He was an actual musician. He was oh, just yeah. an actor pretending. <laughs>
0: No, he, he's legit.
2: Because <laughs> isn't he completely buffed up too? Like oh, yeah. he's super buffed wearing like barely a tank top or something.
0: I recommend you go check out his Wikipedia page because just the, the I, I could read it for you, but you'll, you'll get a kick out of it if you read it. What's his name? Oh, I oh, have to oh, look no, it up. Don't worry
2: about it. I'll look it up later okay. on IMDb. But he didn't have any role except for playing on the bandstand, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> is, I'm going to, I have the IMDb page. Let me see if I can find it.
2: That is the worst song on the soundtrack. I did. Yeah, not and even it's a cover to song too. Oh, it is. That was yeah. the worst song. It's so terrible. Oh, what's his name?
0: Timmy Capello. Tim Capello.
2: Tim Capello. Okay.
0: Yeah. So yeah, look it up and yeah, he's <laughs> just oh all God. oiled up and everything and yeah
2: yeah it's horrifying
0: <laughs> and he's got a great it's not necessarily a mullet but it's it's definitely 80s it's
2: hair metal band like they had hair they had that hair metal look right
0: yeah and that's like uh, that's actually a great point so everyone's rocking out like they're at like a uh, Molly crew or quiet Riot concert yeah, but right it's but it's actually weird... jazzy
2: <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> it's a jazzy pop song it doesn't fit
0: so. No. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, I get—we've mentioned this. I think on the Footless episode, Linley me a street cred because she ended up seeing Dawkins.
3: <laughs> no, and was, Dio. It
0: it was it Dawkins? It was
2: Dawkins and Dio. Dio. You were the one who told me it was Dawkins. Yeah, Dawkins opened up. Dawkins opened up. Okay, yeah, it was definitely Dio. And again, you
0: were—you were only like thirteen, you are saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was really young, so whatever, era, whatever year it was, um, but I didn't like. I accompanied someone else to this concert, right? It wasn't my, it wasn't like I had to go see this or even knew any of their songs or knew who they were.
0: Well, then you it was like, a little bit of your cred, but that's okay.
2: I know. I was definitely, I said I'd never had cred. I just kind of went to anything anybody invited me to. Oh. Well,
0: what concerts did you see as a, as a teenager?
2: Yeah, like, that's what you'll want to know because it immediately lowers my cred. Though I don't <laughs> know if Dokken and Dio is great, but I would see Wham, Duran Duran. Duran Duran is great. my choices. Did hey, you Zan see Duran Yeah, Duran Duran, Wham. The Cure mm-hmm. was one of like the first concerts. I think I illegally drove to. Um, wow. so I think it was the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Uh-huh. Definitely was on one of their early albums. And then, um, yeah, I think we said, I think my friend who had a license was going to, like we told my mom she was going to drive. my car My car was a VW Bug. I mean, mm-hmm. again, my family car. Like I inherited it from... My mom, who was our extra family car, was a VW bug. Right. Um, And my friend, we said my friend was going to drive it, but she couldn't drive a stick (laughs) shift. So I ended up driving it down the 880 Fremont to Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. And like, I was driving horribly and they were like, you have to get over, get over, get over. And I was like, ah, it was almost like the clueless scene, but not quite. because I was on the freeway. It was really scary.
0: But you made it and you have a story to tell. That's what There you go.
2: Yeah. We made it, made it alive, made it out alive.
0: Oh, you don't know how many, how many times I, I. I shouldn't have made it out alive with having friends <laughs> drive us. Like we'd be sitting in the back of their, their truck cab and going way oh, too I fast. No.
2: Right. Yeah. That's so scary. It's uh, really terrifying. Yeah.
0: Going to the shoreline. Ugh.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, anyway, you still got credit with me. That's, that's fine. That well, thank cool. you. So how Remember. often would you visit Santa Cruz as, as a kid? Would, would you go often or, you know, yeah, what made I you want we, to move to Santa Cruz?
2: But you, Well, what made me want to move here? I don't know. That's a longer story. But uh, (laughs) if you grew up in the Bay Area, you know, you go up on holiday weekends and stuff, right? We would always do it. I think like we would do it Mother's Day weekend, Sunday. That was always my mom's dream was to go to the beach. But we always went to um, the Aptos Beach where the cement boat is. Mm It was like our beach of choice. I don't know why. That was the beach I grew up going to. So yeah, as a teenager, I know we would also, um, we slept on the beach, a couple of times but Mm -hmm. lie you know again lying to parents and saying oh I'm sleeping at Susie's house and Susie's (laughs) sleeping at my house or whatever um one time my friend's tires got slashed like we were parked alongside of the road Mm -hmm. um and so she got into a lot of trouble for (laughs) (laughs) because
0: obviously they were at the beach
2: (laughs) I guess I don't know what other story you could come up but like we were definitely not supposed to be there and I think we had to call a or something to get the tire, like to get a tire, you know, to get someone to help fix the tire. So like her parents had to be involved and we were not right. where we said we were going to be. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a beach curfew now? A beach curfew? Yeah. No, they just lifted it. Well, there used to be a curfew. You mean for cor- coronavirus?
0: Or just in general, like, could you be all? No, I
2: think they let you... I mean, I don't know if it's official, but I know people definitely yeah i don't think you're allowed to really officially do that but if you go to some of the ones up highway one a bit mm-hmm. you could definitely sleep on the beach without well i don't know about today i haven't done it in 30 years this isn't a, this isn't a weekly <laughs> I, would not, I would not recommend it i have a bed to sleep in now <laughs> i know i know but it's fun you know, when it's you're a kid I mean, that's, yeah i are a teenager so i yeah. think yeah i guess we would just go up every once in a while we would go for rocky horror picture show so how,
0: how do you feel that Santa Cruz is different today as opposed to, you know, when you
1: oh, went when
2: up there? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, a bit, it's very different to me even as a um, living here with kids, right? Like, I don't think I knew half of the things about the city, which seems really dumb and boring. But, like, parks, I would never have known about parks. <laughs> you know, just things you don't do when you're in college, right? right? Like, you have a very limited scope. So, yeah, I don't know. Has it changed? Yeah, I would say. But even when I was in college, I, I was talking about someone about this recently. Even when I was in college, it felt like the homeless population, it just felt like it was kind of just insane people, right? Mm-hmm. People who were certifiably mentally ill. Right. Because um, I worked downtown and we did a lot of, you know, it just felt like outreach, almost like homeless outreach because <laughs> mm-hmm. we had homeless people coming in all the time. It was it was more kind of quirky and fun uh, maybe but now it just feels like this whole yeah and the last and I was talking I was confirming with someone else who they agree to the same thing that it just now seems like you know the meth, like whatever drugs are involved like if it's oxycontin or methan- methamphetamine it's like it just seems like much more of a drug problem it's worse yeah yeah it, it's just horrible. yeah it's just like so the homeless problem seems again maybe because I'm own a home and I'm raising kids here, it feels much, you know, you don't think of those things like when you're in your early 20s, right?
0: Right. Or yeah, worry about see, it or... It seemed almost like the beach hippies. It didn't seem like or there yeah, were surfers. I yeah. Mean, and, I just
2: felt yeah. like I had a relationship with some of the homeless people <laughs> yeah. Like, and they were really like just older people who were mentally ill. It was not like yeah. a drug. It wasn't necessarily drugs. If it was drugs, it was alcohol. You know, it mm-hmm. was definitely like alcoholics but... Didn't seem as scary. Like now it just feels like crazy young, young methods. Whereas I felt like the homeless population back then was just like an older, more harmless, you know.
0: Right, right. Kind more of from 60s like... 60s burnouts.
2: Yeah. yeah. Or like <laughs> yeah. the Reagan... Like, wasn't that happening in California? Reagan released all, the, all the...
0: yeah, the... Yeah, the, they, the they patients.
2: defunded the mental health hospitals right. or something. So I feel like that has changed.
0: So, so going to well, the Lost Boys now, it doesn't hold up as well for <laughs> being an adult.
2: No, I mean, I still think it's fun, but I did play it for like my son. I don't even know if my daughter has watching. It, and he was just like, oh, that was going to win. But I think
3: well, what, he would say that about anything.
2: Now? <laughs> oh God, he likes uh, Batman movies, Joker, like those things, right? Okay. He likes well, The Walking Dead. I think that's what he's watching now. Well, that's interesting. Friends. So
0: if he's into that, but he's not, that's more, I guess, more realistic form, more modern. I
2: think it's more, it's even, I can't even watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, it's like so uh, gruesome, right? Mm-hmm. Like, The Lost Place isn't very gruesome, right?
0: No, I I'd think say so. the most gruesome scene is like when they're on the beach and uh, the Jason Patrick character finally sees them like really kind of tear people apart.
2: Oh right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But even that. then it's really quick. Like it's it's very like they scalp yeah. someone, but it's so brief you can't even, you know, you yeah, because it. it
2: was PG 13 that's Yeah. Right? I think it's PG thirteen. It's not really a hardcore horror movie. So, no, I yeah. would say
0: like stuff on oh, Walking Dead is almost radar R <laughs> type of deal
2: I can't even watch the I tried to watch it once and I was like, I'm out. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're not a zombie person.
2: They were like hacking up a zombie and then putting the guts all over them, I guess, to, like, you know, protecting themselves from zombies. So, like, the, the alive people were yeah, looking so at like zombies putting, and uh, rubbing their guts all over them. So, I guess they couldn't smell them. They couldn't smell that they were alive.
0: It's like to, putting garlic to... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's the character I love, too, is the head vampire. What's his name? The actor in The oh, Lost Boys. Oh, yes. Sorry.
0: Yeah, he
1: plays... He plays her boyfriend.
2: Yeah.
0: And then, oh. also, how did you like... Um, the mom, the actress, yeah, Diane Wiest. Yeah,
2: I love her always. Oh, yeah, you love her.
0: I was would, he was would, um, Schumacher was actually surprised he could get her because she was. Uh, I guess she had just won an Oscar for Hannah and Her Sisters.
2: Oh, she did. She won yeah. an Oscar for that. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so she was just coming. So Bernard Hughes plays. Or, sorry, Bernard Hughes plays the grandpa, and Edward Herman plays Max. So.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I thought she was like the perfect mother. Like, doesn't everybody just want a mother like that?
0: Oh, yeah, like her, and even in uh, Footloose, <laughs> she was, she was yeah, a good yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So a little bit of a worse situation, but yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. we'll have to talk about Footloose and how that one really doesn't hold up today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, God. Yeah. So many, at least there's no, like, uh, yeah. No yeah, the, girlfriend abuse or, yeah.
0: In in The Lost <laughs> Rape Boys, no. Scenes, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Poor um, Lori Singer. <laughs> she just, yeah.
2: Oh, my God, yeah.
0: And we didn't realize it until we started to watch it at work.
2: Right. We started we were like, this is horrible.
0: The music holds up, but that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, as always, thank you so much, Super Producer Lindley. Thank you, producer
2: Brian. (laughs) Host. You're the talent. What are you? I'm the super producer. Yeah, we hope I'm on. Yeah. You're the talent. I'm the host. (laughs) No, you're the talent. Sure. (laughs) The star. You're the The star, star. baby. I'll make you a star. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> All care. right. Thank you. Come hang out and chill with
0: Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.